0: Welcome to Pitch Deck the podcast, I'm Sarah and Pitch Deck deep dives into the founders ideas from day one. Focusing on them as people, we explore the real individuals and their stories behind the ideas and their pitch deck. And we find out why they are the best people to be pushing their ideas forward into the world. Because investors invest in people before investing in their ideas. This week, I'm talking to the founders of Ocean Medical, an early stage diagnostics and personalized medicine company, born in late 2020, out of the necessity to solve the global maternal mortality crisis. Ocean Medical's goal is to prevent potential medical problems faced by women globally by providing them with comprehensive information on their health and risks to develop specific conditions that are unique to women. Today I'm speaking with two members of their founding team, Dr. Barbara Levy and Stevie Morgan-Klein. Dr. Barbara is a lifelong advocate for advancing the quality of women's health. Serving as Vice President of Health Policy at ACOG, she directed the expansion of the Advocacy Division to support the Office of Global Women's Health, reducing maternal mortality and building sustainable capabilities in several countries. Dr Levy has also been a vocal advocate for women's health with appearances on The Oprah Winfrey Show and multiple other media outlets stevie morgan klein was previously the coo of a genetic startup she spent three years at acog as a director focusing on external relations and developing partnerships and prior to that she was a senior director at john hopkins university it's worth mentioning this episode was recorded in october 2020 as timelines are frequently mentioned welcome dr barbara levy and stevie morgan thank you so much for joining me today how are you both doing Doing great. (laughs) So far, so good. (laughs) Cool. It's so good to have you. So just to get started, do you want to tell us a little bit about you um, and what you're both working on?
1: Yeah. So um, I'll I'll start just a little bit about me. Um, I formerly was COO of a genetics startup and I also um, worked at ACOG and really helping them get partnerships and working with a lot of our external relations there. Um, Prior to that, I was at Johns Hopkins um, where I worked on tech transfer.
2: And Dr. Levy, do you want to do a a brief intro? Sure. So I'm um, an obstetrician-gynecologist, and after 30 years of private practice in women's health and gynecology, Um, I left to join the American College of OBGYN as the first vice president for health policy, so um, a division that had to do with advocacy. And one of the key things that was a goal for me in my career, but also in joining ACOG, was to look at real-world evidence and data to be able to more rapidly incorporate Um, what's actually out there in the real world into guidelines. So what I found as a practicing doctor for the 30 plus years that I was in practice is that very often the guidelines that were defined by studies that are in very narrow populations of patients, people that are willing to participate in studies don't really represent the broad spectrum of women that are out there. And that in fact, the woman sitting across from me who was asking for my advice didn't really fit the criteria for the people that were in those studies. And so my goal was to begin to look at ways to use the electronic medical record and digital science to be able to inform recommendations that we make. And that is true not only in women's reproductive health, but in health health in general for women. So almost all the guidelines that are out there that tell doctors how to take care of women are extrapolated from studies that were done in men. And in general, women represent less than 20% of the study participants. So that was a really key issue for me in trying to engage with organized medicine and see if there was a way for us to do this work. I left ACOG a year ago um, for a lot of different reasons, but Stevie and I have seen the opportunity to leverage that concept of real-world evidence, living evidence if you will, married to evidence-based medicine to clinical trials and all of those things to better inform the way we take care of women and the way we can empower women to take care of ourselves. Um, In the last six months, the whole major issues about inequities and disparities and outcomes has just highlighted even more dramatically how important that is. That women of color, underrepresented minorities don't trust the established medical community for various and very appropriate reasons. But that means they're not represented in the trials that are used to develop the evidence. And then we as doctors use that evidence to try to take care of this population. And no wonder we end up with huge inequities. So our goal at Ocean is to begin to leverage a much broader set of data and information and then use AI, computer science, use um, mathematics to be able to learn a lot about how we can make recom- you know, practical recommendations to people to help women better serve their own health. And you know, a, a good example of that is in 30 years of practice, I got so tired of saying to women. Diet and exercise, diet and exercise, obesity is becoming a problem. And I realized that, in fact, my patients were doing exactly what I told them to do. And it worked for a very, very small number of them. But that the recommendations that we were generating in medicine were not right. Um, They just don't work. And we keep repeating the same mantra, you know, you got to exercise more, you got to eat less. But the truth of the matter is that the body has all kinds of mechanisms to compensate for that. So if I eat less then my body gets used to my eating less and it doesn't burn as many calories and I don't lose much weight. So we want to study those big populations that successfully lose weight and try to figure out what are the elements that make that work and then be able to transmit that to everybody. So that we're not frustrating the world with recommendations that are not, you know, they're not manageable and they don't work. So I think women have been victimized in a way. I mean, not intentionally, but we've been given a lot of advice about a lot of things without good evidence to really help us. So I think that's, that's a passion of mine. I want to be able to use data to, to do a better job at being a healthcare provider and a coach and being able to help women do what they want to do. And women want to be healthy. We want to do the right things. But if we don't know what to do, then we can't get to the right outcomes.
0: It's a really really fascinating area and considering our population is around 50% female the fact that we you know we all of our testing and our research has been done on more male based research it's still an area with a lot of exploring to do. So what are your immediate goals what are you um, working on in the immediate future and what are you looking to raise capital towards.
1: Yeah. So right now, our our big focus is um, we want to do a validation study. And that's the main reason we're fundraising. Um, We have pretty robust plans for our study. Um, You know, we'd like to have as many women as possible involved. Um, Again, we want to make it a really diverse population of women as well. And we're going to make sure we're also utilizing um, the electric the electronic health record as well. So um, it's going to be pretty intense. So we're raising, we're thinking two to three million for a seed round. Um, Our plan is to launch next fall. So using the money just to get that validation study done and to build up our team as as we prepare to launch next fall.
2: And our validation study, we're focusing very narrowly on a big problem. So the big problem is diabetes, and the narrow focus is diabetes during pregnancy. So the hormones of pregnancy create a state, a physiological state for women that makes them more likely to be diabetic. There's a hormone that's made by the placenta, the afterbirth, that increases resistance to the hormone insulin which is what we need to manage our blood sugar. So blood sugars go up in all women who are pregnant, but women who are destined to be diabetic frequently become diabetic during pregnancy. And so by focusing on that population, when women become diabetic during pregnancy, they need to check their blood sugars like four times a day, and they need to take two or three shots a day, and it's... um, becomes more high risk. So they have more ultrasounds and they have more studies done. And we know that it costs about another $5,000 per pregnancy for gestational diabetes. So what we would like to do is in our validation study, be able to validate a genetic profile of people that are at risk and then some simple intervention to see if we can prevent them from needing insulin and things during pregnancy. So we're narrowing the population so that we can have, and the nice thing about pregnancy is it's a nine month intervention, right? So we're going to have a short duration to be able to see a good outcome versus if we were just looking at, you know, high blood pressure or obesity or heart disease, which are very long-term outcomes. This is going to give us a really nice window to be able to say, not only have we validated our algorithm for the genetics piece that says these are the women at risk, but also our intervention piece that says if we do this kind of coaching, we can prevent the development of diabetes during pregnancy. So when you say you're launching in fall next year,
0: is that the intervention and you're going to execute the research between now and then?
1: Yeah, that's our plan. Our plan is to do our studies, um, get them wrapped up and then definitely launch next um next fall we have a pretty big wait list of of women right now uh so we want to get this to market as soon as possible for them um it's been interesting because i so i reach out to every single woman that joins our wait list just to talk to them and to like hear what's going on and what they're looking for in healthcare. and it's a weird mix when you talk to them of they're desperate for help and they they want to feel like they're in control of what's happening to their bodies and that's something that we really think we can help with and and to be something that we can we can get to them faster I, I think that's always something we're we're considering
0: yeah it sounds uh, yeah definitely and it sounds like you um have got quite a tight timeline um between now and then and we're looking at the well, pregnancies which are only nine months um but it sounds like you've definitely got the population you need to start doing that research as soon as it's ready to go. Um, I'd like to take it back now to how you both met and how you both ended up, you know, working on this particular population and this idea. Um, Why did you choose this particular idea over others?
1: Yeah, so Dr. Levy and I worked together at ACOG. Um, We had a really strong working relationship and, and we got a lot of really exciting projects done. Um, And and so when we when we started to kind of think about what our world looked like after ACOG, um, you know, we were both still really passionate about women's health. And I mean, the maternal mortality crisis in America isn't going away, it's still a huge issue. And it's hard to look at something that you feel like is fixable and see nobody fixing it or nobody even thinking yeah. about fixing it is really hard. And so, um, you know, Dr. Levy and I definitely spent some time just like, how can we, how can we actually make a difference? Um, and and it was, I think, pretty exciting to kind of be on the same page still and, and have a good relationship and saying like, will this actually work?
2: You know, and our, our skill sets are, are really complementary. Like Stevie is most definitely the business person. And the legal person and the person who can you know, put this together from a, a practical business standpoint, um, I've got the medical knowledge and the background and the study design um, and relationships and, and, and a reputation in the healthcare world to be able to engage the people that we need to engage once we do have the data to be able to spread this one question I love to ask um
0: is around decision making and navigating you know difficult decisions or where you may not have initially agreed um you know when you first discussed it do you have any
2: examples of that and how
0: you how you worked around that
1: We don't you know,
2: much. <laughs> no I mean we're we communicate a lot and we're both good communicators so there are lots of people that are not such good communicators and um You know, if we haven't talked to each other in a week, one of us will reach out and say, when can we connect? Um, And we talk things through. And we talk things through with our advisors. Like, I have a lot of medical knowledge, and I have a lot of practical knowledge about taking care of women, but I'm not a geneticist, and I'm not a mathematician, and I don't know um, any of those things. So I can review the literature, but Stevie and I will hop on a call with someone that we both respect who's going to drive that piece of it. And, you know, I think what's important is that we have a great deal of respect for each other, but secondly that we're both really good communicators and that, you know, nothing gets to the place where we're really disagreeing because if there is a different point of view, we both are data driven and we will seek out the data, we will find it and we will come to a conclusion.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree that it's it's helped that we have really active advisors and they've really stepped in when we've said, you know, is this going to work? Will this work? Um, having, having that's been really important. And I, I, I know there's a lot of startups where, where people kind of they like to have the advisors on their slides. But when you're like, when was the last time you talked to them? And they're like, oh, like six months ago. That is definitely not our case. We yeah. talk to them <laughs> like on a weekly basis. So, um, you know, we, we, they're very generous with their time and their knowledge. Um, and it's, it's definitely something that we appreciate for sure.
0: Um, talking of advisors, do you want to talk a little bit about who you have on board as advisors and also who else is in the team currently? And are you looking to expand the team once you've raised around? Yes, well, definitely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, as, as much as it's wonderful that we've got a pretty tight team of, you know, five that, you know, most of them are are part time, but um, it's a really good group. And And I'll tell you a little bit about, you know, the rest of our team. We have two other co-founders, Ellie Brower, who um, will be our CFO. She's um, a, a finance lead at Johns Hopkins. And we have another uh, co-founder, Brittany Dismuke, who used to head up event marketing for ACOG. Um, she's working on our marketing and our branding. So it's it's been interesting to see kind of what she's come up with just because things I didn't think were hard. Designing a box. Turns out that's (laughs) who we are. Yeah. Um, You know, thankfully, uh, the rest of our founding team is... They, they have skills that we do not have and it's, it's been super helpful and it, it's allowed us to get a lot done before we've raised and it's allowed us to get a lot done on the science side, which is really appreciated. Um, the rest of our team, we have a adjunct professor from Stanford working on our neuroscience and postpartum depression, um, polygenic risk scores. We have someone from Johns Hopkins as well, working on our partnerships and alliances. Um, one of our former colleagues from ACOG will be helping us with our health IT and bioinformatics. And um, the person developing our um, our polygenic risk scores and, and the ML behind that, she um, used to be lead science at a, another genetics company. So they've, they've got great backgrounds. They're amazing people. It's all women. So <laughs> we are an all-female organization, which I, I did not think was that rare until you do. And then you're like, oh, wow, okay. I, I, had, a, I had a VC tell us we probably were the only women's health company with an all female science team. And I didn't know whether to get really excited about that or really sad about it. So it's very exciting, but the fact that we're in 2020 and that's a first is kind of sad.
2: Yeah. I mean, the answer is yes, Stevie, (laughs) we got really excited and we're incredibly sad about that. Yeah. Um, And it speaks to the structure of, of, venture capital and how, how that works, right? It's, it's people who know people, it's the open doors, it's reputations, and women don't generally circulate in those rarefied atmospheres. I mean, we're not, we don't have that legacy of, you know, you go to college, and you go to business school, and then you um, work for one of the consulting firms, and you develop all of that,
1: yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely different for sure, but never great to hear that you're, you're the first all female science team they've ever, ever seen. That's, that's yeah. kind of sad and scary. Um, but our advisory team is made up of executives from Bayer, Myriad, AbbVie and Illumina. Um, we have both the CMO and, and a senior vice president from Myriad and um, when the head of their clinical trial development at Bayer and Women's Health, um, a therapeutic area head from AbbVie, and also a, a head of market development at, at Illumina. So we've tried to really get a good cross-section of all the different industries that affect women um, and all the different industries that, of course, would be impacted by having polygenic risk scores that do help um, with preventable pregnancy complications like we're we're searching for.
0: So who are you looking to hire next? How are you going to expand the team?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So definitely we're, we're looking to um, really ramp up our ML, our AI and our mathematics team, just because we really want to make sure um, our risk scores are the best of the best. Um, that's definitely something we'll always be really looking to excel in. also probably our, our lab and research team as we work on our study as well. Um you know, for health informatics, we'll probably be doing some hiring there as well, just because we're going to try and get as many patient um, outcomes as possible. So that's that's definitely an area we are looking to expand in as well as we develop our app and what that looks like for patients and, and physicians
2: as well. And let me just be clear: the patient outcomes we're talking about is patient-reported outcomes. Yeah. So we want women to tell us what's important to women. We don't want to be deciding what's important for other people. And I think that's one of those key points in equity and disparity in in leveling the playing field. It's so important that we have input from the people we're trying to serve.
0: And are you um, getting that now from the community that you've built up already through your wait list?
1: Yeah, I mean, we do get a lot of outcomes research just because, I mean, they're they're very honest. If you say, you know, what are some challenges? What are some things you've not enjoyed? What are some things that you thought were handled really well? Um, they will tell you. But I, I think across the board, we already see some themes. Um, and that's really where we're looking to improve upon the care through our our telemedicine offerings, our telehealth offerings, um, the coaching offerings. Those are all things that are directed just by listening to the women that we talk to and saying, you know, how can we help them? In terms of features, what are the initial
0: features you're hoping to roll out next year? And how are you going to keep building onto that? I know a lot of it will be research informed. But what have you got in mind that you think will um, fill the medium term and the longer term?
1: Yeah, yeah. So our first, you know, test that we're working on is, is pretty related to pregnancy complications, but we are looking to expand that out um, into definitely like more well woman directed areas. So think fertility, pharmacogenomics, um, uterine fibroids, um, endometriosis. I'm, I'm trying to think of other things we really want to. So even things like heart test.
2: disease. So we yeah. know that heart disease kills more women than breast cancer. Um, and yet women, all of the research on primary prevention, meaning trying to live your life in a way that keeps you from getting heart disease is based on what works in men. And so being able to look at, um, polygenic risk scores and big data to say, you know, maybe statins are a good thing. The American Heart Association thinks they're a good thing, um, do they work for women? How do they work for women? Um, so those are, you know, heart disease is another big area, and then um, depression and mental health. So women disproportionately suffer from uh, depression and anxiety, um, and anxiety, especially now during COVID, is even a bigger thing than than depression. So what does the polygenic risk score look like for that? And what are the interventions that really work? So most of the drugs, in fact all of the drugs that are used to manage anxiety and depression are used disproportionately in women and were studied almost exclusively in men. Well, we know that women metabolize drugs differently. We react to drugs differently. You know, my adjustment in my own personal practice was to always start my patients on a half a dose of a half of the smallest dose and wean it in slowly, but I never, you know, the, the labeling and the package inserts is all based on um, pharmacokinetics that were in men. Well, men are bigger than we are and they have a different volume of distribution of, you know, fluids and, and our fluids change with our menstrual cycle and there are all kinds of things that we just don't even have good answers for. So, you know, the, the really Big, impactful areas are, you know, wellness and mental health and being able to help folks um, deal with a genetic predisposition, um, the diabetes and and obesity, um, and then heart disease, whether that's high blood pressure or um, atherosclerosis. It's very worrying to know that for
0: all these years we've been prescribing medicine based on, Well, the wrong, wrong dosage, wrong research, you know, it's, yeah, it's just not personalized at all in any way at the moment. It really Um, isn't.
2: It really isn't.
0: And in terms of your total adjustable market, well, it's pretty huge. How are you going to market this and make sure the women that need it, uh, you know, have access and know, know about you?
1: Yeah. That's something we've we've really thought a lot about. Again, just because inequity is really it goes to the heart of why we we even started this, um, and we're trying very very hard to make sure this is a product that isn't available to just rich white women. You know that's that's super problematic and and something we're really trying to avoid um, and and really staying aware of as a, as an issue. Um, I, I think first and foremost, you know, especially when we work on our um, validation study. I think when you look at who we're going to be partnering with, we're going to make sure it's really diverse um, populations. And also, um, you know, we'll also be trying to bring in a lot of health centers and community health organizations, just so we're we're not just um, looking at one or two areas demographically. We, we want to make sure all women are, are a part of what we're addressing with the study. Um, I think definitely it goes to being able to afford the care. And um, that's something we are really focused on. We're going to make sure this is something that all women have access to. Um, there's plenty of programs that we can we can look at and um, kind of getting involved in. And I think, Dr. Levy, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of just the inequities in like women right now when it comes to being able to you know, who's, who's getting what kind of care? Um, sure. This is definitely something Dr. Levy worked a lot on um, with a couple programs at ACOG and has definitely been successful in making sure women get what they need.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we, we all know that there are inequities both in outcomes, but also in access. And the inequities aren't always that you can't get care, but sometimes it's that you get there and nobody hears what it is you're saying. So being able to empower women with certain um, objective data to get healthcare providers to listen to them and respond to them, we think is really important and will help to um, elevate the voice of underserved communities. I think that blaming victims is a really bad idea. And when we just try to educate women without giving them the data, they're still spitting in the wind in terms of their voices not being heard when they go to try to access care. And, and you know, that's part of our medical education system. We are trained on the 70-kilogram man. And the signs and symptoms and everything we've studied in medical school is about the norm is a 70-kilogram man. And so my passion is to change that and to give women um, data information and an ability to get voice, but then also to publish these kinds of things so that we begin to change the way we train healthcare providers and that they can see and acknowledge that, in fact, women are not just smaller men and that women of color and underrepresented minorities, whether they be, you know, lgbtq plus or they are women of color have a different life experience and life experience impacts epigenetics and epigenetics impacts outcomes and that these are not women who can control how much air pollution there is where they live or how many jobs they have to have to be able to afford childcare. Um, so we want to be looking at all of those things and their impacts on health, and then be able to empower women with information, not to be the victims and to, but to really change the whole conversation when they try to to access care. That's a big piece of work. It's going to be iterative. You know, it's going to take time. But by using big data and, um, you know, polygenic risk scores, we've, we've sort of outgrown the single gene things that cause disease. I mean, we know what many of them are, and we understand that most of the diseases we're trying to deal with, or most of the things that impact quality of life, like anxiety and depression, come from a lot of changes, they're not a single gene. They're not a single chromosome that we can find that's gonna, that we can just like splice and fix and it's all going to be good. Um, it's, it's far more complicated than that. Um, but being able to identify in advance, for example, women who may be at risk for severe postpartum depression and do some coaching and, and there, there are things that we know, interventions that will really help Um, To do those things up front, as opposed to reacting after it's a serious problem, we're really hoping will impact those inequities and and really help improve health, not just treat disease, but actually keep people healthy and prevent them from developing those conditions.
0: Huge task you're taking on here. (laughs) And I was going to ask you, who are your competitors? But I think the more appropriate question is, Who are you working alongside in this space to partner with and tackle this social problem and health problem together?
1: Yeah. When when you're talking about competitors when it comes to prenatal care, I feel like there's a lot, but nothing that's really... Um, targeting women and their health in the same way we are. Um, when you start to talk about organizations we're working together with, um, you know, we are really looking at a lot of patient advocacy organizations um, and and working with, and Dr. Lee, we can probably speak to this as well. There are a lot of doctors who care a lot about women. Um, and we're trying to really make sure we identify the right doctors um, to be to be involved with us and the right doctors who can use the information we give them well um and actually treat women the way they need to be treated.
2: And I think long term once we've sort of got proof of concept and we have some interventions that we know are successful but also that we've identified successfully the high risk population for whatever it is whether it's postpartum depression or diabetes or high blood pressure um There will be opportunity, I think, to work with the payer community, to work with the people who pay for um, prenatal care and who pay for um, health insurance. And, you know, it remains to be seen in the U.S. what's going to happen with our insurance situation. But at least during pregnancy, we can work with community health centers, we can work with Um, structures that provide prenatal care and be able to offer this as a way to actually reduce their cost. Because if you're not screening everybody, if you're identifying those people at risk and then intervening early, you can, we're hoping, be able to demonstrate some substantial reduction in cost. So we think this is a win-win for everyone. And of course, we have to start at the beginning with our with our research, right, with our validation study and and incrementally um, get to that place. But the ultimate goal is that we've proven our concept, that we have identified, that we can identify uh, women at risk, and that we have some interventions that we can motivate women to use. So it's one thing to say you're black, so you're at higher risk for bad outcomes in pregnancy. And there's nothing... You know, if I'm a black woman, what am I going to do with that? Um, Okay, fine, I'm at higher risk, but there's no, there's nothing I can do about it. If I say we looked at your personal risk score, and you personally are at extremely high risk for diabetes and for high blood pressure, and we have the following relatively straightforward dietary and lifestyle interventions that we would like to coach you, Through, so we're not going to just hand you a piece of paper, um, which is really all the the only time that obstetricians have available or women's healthcare providers. I mean, we're we're locked into this like every ten or fifteen minute appointments, and frankly, we don't have the personal knowledge to be able to do those kinds of coaching things. Most of us, we're not trained to do that in medical school. So, if we as Ocean can provide the coaching with interventions that are straightforward and responsive to the woman so you know if I've got a Hispanic patient and her family eats tortillas and rice and beans and you know salsa I need to work with what she can afford and what her family likes I can't say to her well you eat this but fix all this for the rest of your family so it Coaching, it really is a lot about listening to people and then engaging them with what works for them and then helping them do that. And, and I think it's a different approach. Most of us in medicine do a top-down approach. Top-down means I'm the boss, I'm the expert, I'm going to tell you what to do. Here's a piece of paper with all your instructions, go do it. And we're going to try to do something from the bottom up, which is, listen to women, listen to their constraints, and then use our knowledge to help guide them into things that will work for them, that won't make them frustrated because they can't do it or they can't afford it, and see where we go with that.
0: Yeah, and I think I've noticed a trend recently that we're moving back to the more human um, interaction approach, particularly a lot of mental health solutions have gone really digital first, tech first, and we sort of ran headfirst at um all the options of using phones and tech to access people but we lost that human interaction and i think a lot of companies have realized the importance of that one-to-one you know and as you're mentioning through coaching how do you intend to scale the coaching so you know how are you going to have enough coaches to support the total addressable market and all those women who are pregnant at that one time
2: so I think the model is going to be really different depending upon, um, you know, where we get to with our research and with our um, penetration into the payer community, the employer community, community health centers. There's a lot of good evidence that um, team coaching, that um, that we could coach more than one woman at a time and be equally impactful once we've got a history and some basic information. So I think we need to, in order to scale it, we need to figure out what works the best. And in order to do that, we have to study it for a while. But I could see engaging with um, some of the big payers that do have um, nurses and dietitians and other people and, you know, incorporating what they're trying to do with what we're doing so that we're not having to reinvent the wheel and do, you know, double work. I think that making the work that we do more effective is a better way to go. And what that means is first we have to prove our concept and and show that it works. So I think in the next, you know, once we launch next fall, and we are looking specifically at, gestational diabetes we will have a coaching plan for the women that we engage and we will see what works and what doesn't work but this is a new concept and so we are we're in this continuous quality improvement cycle where we don't have an etched in stone plan that says we're going to do this and then we're going to expand and then we're going to do that we're going to start with this and iterate it and find out what works the best and what women like and are willing to participate in and then we will go from there.
0: Yeah it sounds like it's going to be a really research back product when you eventually roll it out which is great because I think often companies roll out something and then have to do a lot of work in the background and they're just backpedaling to try and get it you know, research back to get it right. Um, just jumping back to your competitors, how do you see yourself tackling this in a different way or tackling the problem in a different way to your competitors?
1: Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that Dr. Levy always talks about is, is not just treating acute symptoms. Um, you know, this is actually really pre prevention and and it's prevention utilizing personalized medicine whereas i think that's really not how we we treat um women um especially women it's it's just not really how we've always done it so we're we're doing things a little bit different um and so that means, you know, you are doing preventative care and trying to really avoid getting to the point where you need to go to the doctor every, you know, couple of weeks and, and take another blood test to figure out what's wrong with you. Um, that's, that I think is really a change in, in just practice that I, I'm really excited to see. Um, as someone who has to go to the doctor all the time to get my A1C test, I would love if, if we had prevented it and we'd, we'd gotten this, you know, before that happened. Um Dr. Levy, am I I missing, forgetting something?
2: No, I think our focus is definitely prevention. Um, I don't think there are any real competitors out there right now that are trying to personalize things in the way that we are. Yes, there are lots of companies out there doing genetic testing, but they're not taking that next step. They're not, I mean, they may give me a piece of paper with a risk profile, but it doesn't tell me what to do about it. And so we're going to try to be the adjunct to the healthcare provider. We're not delivering healthcare. We're not treating illness. We're coaching and we're trying to help women become the healthiest they can be given their own personal profile. And I think that's a different niche in the market. It's a different approach to it's not really healthcare.
0: It's health Just moving on now to um, how you intend to fund the service and product in the longer term. Do you intend to have some aspect of it free available for those in, you know, um, difficult economic environments? What are your plans there?
1: Yeah, we will definitely have different pricing structures available so that people who can't afford our product are able to. Um, That's definitely something that as we monetize everything, we will be considering and and keeping an eye on as well.
0: And um, what are your so if you had to pick three key attributes within an investor, what would they be? (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, I, I think we've all got a couple of dream investors. Um, you know, I, I think for me, the biggest thing I'm looking for is someone who really wants to be our partner and wants to really, you know, help us grow this into the biggest women's health company there is. Um, you know, there's so much potential here. And I, I think seeing um, a lot of women's health companies potential go unrealized, we we really want investors who are, are really thinking about you know this is a, a an open space and we can really we can make this marketplace what we want it to be and, and so that's kind of like big thinker is what definitely we're looking for in a partner
2: but also i think a big thinker that recognizes women as a marketplace as a as a you know i mean there are a lot of big thinkers in tech and they think about the tech space but this is in many ways more mundane if you will i mean it's about health and it's not a health tracker or a you know a watch or a fitness thing it's it's a lot broader than that and so i think you know it, it's it's a visionary in a way it's someone who it, it's a an investor who would be able to see this gap and to recognize that there's a real difference between health care, and health. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: definitely anyone who thinks women's health is is a impact investment opportunity. <laughs> I feel like that's the most common thing you hear is like, oh, this is the perfect impact investment opportunity, which the marketplace available for this is pretty big. And, um, you know, I, I, I think anyone that says that impact investing is something that, Underprivileged or or women or you know I, that I, I think that's a that's something I think we're trying to be really sensitive to.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. It's really interesting to hear what you're looking for in investors, and I love how you term you know it's not healthcare, it's health. And I'm so glad that some people are finally focusing on women's health and trying to change what's out there because. I've only been on the world, you know, in the world around 30 years, but for so many years before that it's all been male focused um, and male focused research. So I'm so glad that, you know, there are people out there like you actually trying to make a difference. Um, Thank you so much for coming on today. It was great talking to you both. Um, So if anyone wants to get in contact with you or if any investors want to get in contact with you, what is the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah, I'm always happy to take emails personally. Um, Stevie at Ocean, O-S-H-U-N, medical.com. Always happy to, to chat with people.
0: It's such an important issue that Ocean Medical are addressing. As a female myself, it's concerning to know that current diagnosis and prescription methods are based more often than not on medical research in males. Whilst they're starting their work focused on diabetes within pregnant women, I'm excited to see how they continue to grow from here to advance the health of women and champion awareness of our healthcare issues. If you wish to invest in Ocean Medical, please do reach out to Stevie on the email she provided. Next week, I'm speaking with Michelle Ripple and Lori Frey from Babu Bottle, a revolutionary baby bottle that closely replicates a mother's breast. It has been successfully used to get a baby to feed when they have otherwise been refusing. Listen in next week for some stories on how this technology has saved the lives of very young babies who were not feeding.
2: See you then.